0: Today, on After the Jag Court, navigating your career progression, I am catching up with a good friend, former shipmate, and a coach of my son's Pop Warner football team, Don King. Don, welcome. Hi, Tom. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I wish everyone could see it on Zoom. I'm sitting here in Northern Virginia with the high humidity as we always get in the summer. And Don King is sitting in his backyard in Coronado in the shade. Obviously, temperate as it always is in Southern California. And I think if my wife walks in and sees this, that we'll be booking a flight to California to visit Coronado. So, Don, you look great. Thanks, Don. It's
1: beautiful as always here. Wish you were here.
0: Me too. So, Don, we were talking before you uh, came on the air here, and you said you you retired a year and a half ago?
1: Yeah, it's about a year and a half, almost two years now.
0: And I only asked that because it just... It's amazing how time flies and how you lose track of people once they fall off that JAG lineal list. And I have to say, it seems like you've been gone a little bit longer than that.
1: Yeah, it does to me too. And I hear you on losing track. You know, you go from receiving emails from everybody all around the world and staying up to speed on what everybody's doing to like you dropped off the edge of the world. And the only time you hear from people is uh, in a job that I'm in now, when I have to reach out to them and uh, beg them for a court-martial deal. <laughs> Other than that, you're subject to either reading what's in the news or following friends on Facebook and LinkedIn to find out what's going on in the JAG Corps. I hear you.
0: So we'll talk about what you're doing now. But Don, how many total years of service did you have when you retired? I had right around 27,
1: and I say right around because it wasn't an easy determination because I had five years as an enlisted Marine, and then I had some reserve time between Marine Corps and Navy, and then, of course, there was the constructive service credit for the JAG Corps, which I don't think counted for the time in service, but when I look at my retiree LES now, it's 27 years.
0: Is it true that you're wearing a U.S. Navy retired hat and sitting at the 32nd Street Exchange and criticizing sailors for <laughs> uniform discrepancies?
1: No, I'm down at the VFW every day at noon, drink a beer with the old guys.
0: <laughs> so, Don, let's re- I wish to both of those. <laughs> let's rewind the clock. Tell us about arriving at the decision that it was time to submit your papers. What went into that decision? Uh, I think the
1: biggest thing, Tom, was a recognition that I wanted to get back to what I loved. And by that, I mean litigation. And specifically litigation for junior Marines and sailors who find themselves in hot water in the service. And I came into the Navy to do that. I fell in love. With that job when I first did it in the Navy. And although I spent 20 years, not all of that time in jobs where I was litigating, I always wanted to get back to that. But although the Navy's doing a great job now getting senior people back into litigation billets, when I was coming up as an 04, 05, 06 litigation manager, military judge, appellate judge, there really wasn't that opportunity. You know, if you were above 04, you weren't really going to see too many courts martial or BOIs. So I missed it. I, it wasn't the same for me being a judge. You know, I, I really wanted to be in front of the bench instead of behind it. It's the difference kind of between, you know, you want to be an athlete and they make you the referee. It's just not the same. So for probably the latter, maybe even half of my JAGCOR career, I'd long to get back into litigation. And I got to the point, I think, when I became retirement eligible that I started to look for the opportunity to get out and do what I'm doing now. And then a few things happened, both personal and COVID and the needs of the JAG Corps for senior military justice guys, that I stayed a little longer than I wanted to. But when I finally retired, it was a great time. I I talked to Chuck Purnell, who was the chief judge at the time. I didn't want to leave the appellate court in a lurch. The people that were stuck from COVID couldn't move when I first wanted to retire. So I stayed on a little longer. I flew out to Hawaii and did some more time on the trial bench to help out the trial judiciary. And then when I got back from that, Chuck told me, hey, the people are going to be able to move, you know, guys like Rob Monahan are going to be able to get to the appellate court. So if you still want to, this might be a good time. And and so I did. I sat down. I said, "Okay, I'm really going to do this. And I did it once before. But then I, I put in my papers. But like I said, I extended them for a few reasons for about a year. And then I sat down and hit enter and said, okay, this is it. I'm going. So long-winded answer. It was kind of just a real desire to get back to doing what I've always wanted to do with my law degree experience. And that's help our junior sailors and Marines in the courtroom or in the administrative hearing room.
0: How hard was it for you to actually leave? You know, you hear all kind of Guidance about well, you need six to nine months notification to the Navy. You need nine to 12 if it's not its projected rotation date. And granted, yours was impacted by COVID, but once you put those papers in, and no kidding, you wanted to leave, how long was it to flash the bang? I think I
1: complied with the six month or more. I hadn't PCSed. If you go somewhere and you haven't finished your three years' time on station, it requires more than. Six months. So I didn't face that rule. So I think it was just about eight months that I gave notice. But, you know, I should say this, and this might be relevant to some of the folks out there. I found our JAG representatives at Bupers and JAG leadership way, way more than willing to assist me with getting out of the Navy right when I wanted to. They let me extend, they let me shorten my period of time. Every request that I ever had, I think it was Leah Reynolds at the time who was up at Bupers, and every single request I had at the time, they granted. So shout out to them. They really took care of me on my way out the door. And it was a process. So I would recommend that people plan on complying with the rule. But once you get your papers in, I think you're going to find if circumstances come up, I found the Navy retirement system and process to be more than giving on my way out the door.
0: Well, as someone that's looking around and has to leave sometime in the next year half, that's really great to hear. And if any of the JAG leadership is listening, I just want to say, wow, that's great. And I really look forward to that support as well. But so, Don, you, uh, you decided <laughs> to leave. You retired. And what have you done since retirement?
1: Well, uh, work is what I've done, unfortunately. And I say unfortunately because I didn't plan that. I didn't plan on getting out and working as hard as I'm working now. My intention was to get out and golf a lot and travel a lot. My wife had just gotten her master's in nursing, and our kids were in high school, so it was her turn to have a career, and I was going to be the supportive husband and golfing. But I always knew that I would I would keep a toe in the litigation world and, and take on some cases. And I started off by. Hooking up with an organization that does a lot of pro bono work for our veterans, especially our PTSD veterans who've gotten really raw deals on their way out the door. So I hooked up with them, took on a couple of pro bono cases, and then it just grew from there. I decided, you know what, I think I want to be a little busier. So I created a website and created a company. And the next thing you know, I'm way busier than I ever intended to be. It took me about seven or eight months to get in over my. And now I'm definitely in the deep end and I'm working more hours than I want. I've even brought on, I think I've got three or four lawyers now to help with the workload that we're getting. So that's what I've done, Tom. I hope, like I said, to do a lot of golf. I heard uh, Scott Swozy on a couple of podcasts go, good friend of mine, talking about all the great travel he did, jumping in a van. And I was, oh, that was my plan. And uh, good for him. He did it. And I was jealous to hear all of that. I'm still going to do it. Part of it too was I didn't really know. I didn't know if I take this many clients, how busy is that going to make me? I hadn't had a client load or workload or or caseload in 10 years. So I got phone calls from all these E2s and E3s needing help. And I took all these cases. And once they all hit and came to court martial or admin board or whatever they were going to, boy, things got really busy. And they just haven't slowed down in the last eight or nine months.
0: So two things. First, I think this is the, the appropriate time to plug the name of your law practice, which is King Military Law, right? Yep. How creative is that? Well, give us the website. You got to give us the website. That's easy. www.kingmilitarylaw.com. And the second thing, I have the highest confidence that you will, in fact, be in that van. You just might be living in the van (laughs) down by the river. So on that note, Don, you kind of alluded to it. You didn't see yourself necessarily standing up a law practice. But take us through, how challenging was that to stand up a law practice?
1: I think it was more challenging than it to be, Tom. And I say that for those of you out there listening that might want to do the same thing. First of all, let me tell you, feel free to reach out and learn from my mistakes. I'd be happy to talk to anybody about how to do it. But it was more challenging than it needed to be because I really didn't take advantage of the offer I just gave everyone. I didn't really talk to many people. I didn't really go to conferences that you can go to. There's all kinds of resources out there that you can take advantage. And of to make it easier to make it more efficient. And I really didn't do that. I sat down when I decided to hang a website, which is, you know, today's version of, of hanging a shingle. When I decided to hang a website, I jumped online, I pulled down some GoDaddy software, and I started building my own website. And then I got it online, and that's where I started getting phone calls. And then I started to realize all the problems I had with my website and all the mistakes that I'd made. So I eventually hired a company to help me. You know, once I got my website up, I had to hire a bookkeeper. And I now I had to worry about taxes. And if I'm gonna bring people on board, which I did, I've got to worry about paying them and, and their taxes and social security taxes. And there's just a whole bunch of stuff that. I knew about kind of tangentially but I hadn't really sat down and created what one of my good friends told me to create which is a business plan. I didn't do that. And I went to the I think it's USA that puts or MOA that puts on the JAG symposium. I went to that. I went to a couple of things before I retired and they talked about those types of things and I just really didn't pay a lot of heed to it. Are you and talking when about time the,
0: to do it? I just kind of Are you talking are you, about the jo- jobs for JAGs? yeah yeah so that's to give proper accreditation because that that was my second or third interview. It's the Judge Advocates Association that puts that on.
1: Ah, oh, that's right. exactly. Yeah. so I went to that. I went to a couple of other things and and now I know that there's YouTube videos and and all kinds of companies that you can just hire if you if you want to just hire them to do it all to create all of this for you. So I think the answer to your question is it was difficult. It didn't have to be that difficult if I was willing to either hire somebody to do it or put the effort in up front to learn how to do it myself. But I didn't do either one of those things. I just did it as I went and I learned a whole bunch of lessons along the way, which is why I, I'm happy to be a resource to anybody who wants to do it on their own in the future. Because I did learn a lot of lessons from my mistakes.
0: Doing courts martial and administrative hearings, it, you know, we talked beforehand and you've even said it now, you've been pretty busy. How are people finding you? Is it just through the website? Is it a Google search of military lawyer? How's the business coming in the door?
1: Yeah, it's a mixture of all that, Tom. So you have to, if you're going to do this and you want to stay really busy, you've got to have a good web presence. And that's typically Google. There are some other search engines, but everybody knows Google is the king. And so you got to have a good presence there. And and you'll learn something called search engine optimization, how to stay at the top of the list. Some people pay for it. Other people uh, try to do it organically. So yeah, the internet and Google searches is one way. But I get probably up to 50% of my business word of mouth. And that grows as I'm in this business. When I first started out, my first couple of clients were from people that I'd worked with on active duty that knew that I'd done this and their friends needed some help. So they gave me a call. And then it was Google after uh, my next five or six clients were Google. And then probably about seven or eight months ago, it started to turn majority of that as word of mouth. And there's a lot of work out there for those of you that are interested in doing that. And I remember when I got into it, I was a little worried if I wanted to do it full time. I was worried, you know, am I going to make enough money? Am I going to be able to pay the bills? And everybody who had done it before me said, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. There's plenty of work out there. And, And I doubted it. So if you're one of those folks out there doubting that if you need to make a living at this, Uh, you know, if you still got little ones in the house or you're paying college tuition or whatever, you need to make a living at this. It's definitely possible. What I found was that word of mouth became very important. And probably, like I said, about 50% of my clients now are word of mouth.
0: And you told me that you just recently got back from Japan. What other far-flung destinations have you been to represent clients?
1: Well, you know, that's one of the things that I don't know if I should say this, there might be clients out there listening, but one of the the rules that I've kind of stuck to in my retirement world is I really don't want to take any cases that are going to make me travel like that. I just really got burnt out on travel when in my last couple of jobs, I don't know if you know, but one of my last jobs in the Navy was geobatching to DC to the court and I flew home to San Diego every weekend. And I got burned out on airplanes. And so I thought, I don't really want to be in airplanes anymore. So a rule I made for myself is I would take the cases that I wouldn't really have to travel and give the cases that had traveled to those lawyers that wanted them. I went to Okinawa and broke that rule only, as you know, because my son's a Marine in, in Okinawa. So I had a case in uh, Yokosuka and uh, the client called me for help and I took his case only because I knew that if I went over there, that I'd be able to take a quick jaunt down to Okinawa and spend a week or so with my son, which I did. Now that said, I've got next week, I'm going to Hawaii. And I think probably two weeks after that, I'm going to Norfolk. So there's a little bit of travel involved, but I'm trying to stay away from the Bahrains and the South Koreas. Now, if a case came up in Rhoda, twist my arm, I might be able to take that one.
0: I know that there's a couple other former Navy Jags or reserve Navy Jags or a mixture of those who have hung out their shingle in San Diego. You know, my classmate, Jay Sullivan, for example, and I think yeah. the other one is Beth Peyton O'Brien. So how yeah. much do you guys interact and how fraternal is that bar?
1: Quite. To answer both of those questions we interact quite a bit and we're exchanging emails and ideas and even clients you know i've sent some clients their way they've sent some my way it is a pretty small world which you know we've always talked in the jag core about how important your reputation is and you build your reputation from year one so For all those out there listening, that applies in this world as well, as well as if you're going to be a lawyer at Northrop Grumman, or, you know, you're going to go be an immigration law judge, protect that reputation and play nice and be friends with people because this world, no matter what area you're in, is largely who you know. And those individuals that you named and many more have made this transition easy or easier and have helped me a great deal, especially Beth. Shout out to Beth. She's been super helpful.
0: Wow, I can't believe, Don, that we're almost two years later. I can't believe that you finally hit fifty. And I'll tell you that continued service in the jag corps has become not as much fun when all your contemporaries go over the side. I feel like a a person who's lived to the ripe age of ninety eight, you know, all my all my friends have passed over <laughs> and and I'm one of the few left. So this has been really great to catch up with you. You know, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but at the same time, I don't want to rob you of any guidance or messages that you want to provide to folks who are listening you've already done some of that but what am I missing what I what did I not ask you that I should have asked you
1: no I think you covered it all Tom you know before you cut me off I just want to echo what all the other interviewees have said and and that's thanks for doing this I know this is hard work and I know you're doing this on your own and it's such a great service Uh, to me, and I'm retired, and I've learned things through your podcast that I didn't know about. And I know others have as well. And it's a great way to catch up with folks. I only wish, you know, the The listening audience doesn't know that we're on Zoom and can see each other. I think you should start posting the videos so we can see some of these people. But the only thing that I would say, I think I'm going to echo, I think the last podcast I listened to was of Mike Green, who was my first boss and one of my best bosses in the Navy when he and I were out of Guam together. And I think Scott Swosey mentioned this too. And that's priority. When you're getting ready to retire, I've got a couple of friends that kind of flailed. They didn't really know what they wanted to do after they retired. They know they wanted to keep working. Uh, they weren't ready to hang it up and, and golf every day, but they didn't really know what they wanted to do when they pulled the trigger. And I think they suffered from that and it became more anxiety ridden than it needed to be. So if you're getting ready to pull the shoe, I really encourage you to sit down. I think I've heard you talk about this too before and really prioritize what you want to do once you're on the civilian side of the world, because it will make it a lot easier. It really will. And, and you'll be a lot happier if you have the luxury to pursue something that you really love and you can prioritize that. The second plug I want to get in there is for those of you that really don't want to work, but you still want to keep kind of a toe in the JAGCOR world or the just world, understand that there are so many pro bono opportunities out there to help so many worthy vets. And just to kind of convince you of that, I'll tell you that I've got a couple of pro bono clients, two guys that I'm thinking of, both SEALs, both went over to the war in the early years, 2003, 2004, before we really knew a lot about PTSD, came back just stricken with PTSD, used self-medication to get through their symptoms. As a result, they were kicked out with OTHs. And now both of these guys, folks, Are alcoholics and on the street because they can't get their VA benefits. And and when I first heard about them, I thought, that's impossible. It's so well known now how much help there is for our vets that surely these guys have to know about that and have to be able to get help. Absolutely not. It's not well known where it needs to be. And so the opportunities to provide pro bono work, stuff that 20 year JAGs can do in their sleep writing memos and helping out at BCNR, those opportunities exist. And so if, if you're interested in that, either do your own Google search and find a place that you can get involved with. I know they'd love to have you or call me and I'll either help you get in with one of those organizations or help you find clients who desperately need the type of help that we can bring. So, and I've met a lot of people like that. They don't wanna be full-time employed lawyers, but they love helping people. They just don't have an outlet to do it, or they don't have time to find an outlet to do it. If that's you, give me a call, and I'll put you in touch with folks who can be that outlet, and you can stay involved in the world of helping
0: people. Well, Don, thank you for that. This podcast is about sharing information. It's about getting information out there. Erin Stone really set the standard when she talked about you know self-reflecting and really deciding what she wanted to do and having, you know, realizing what she thought she wanted to do was not what she really wanted to do. So I've been very fortunate in the guests that I've had, like her and like yourself. And also, you know, this is the forum and I will be posting your LinkedIn page and the uh, link to the King Military Law so that people can get a hold of you. I'm sure there's a few people out there who are interested in Doing that. And I'm sure that there's, I, I think of one attorney that I've talked to, for example, uh, I think Amy Bateman out near the Army Staff College, I think out in, in the middle of America there. She does defense work. So maybe there's an opportunity for people to connect if they have a client that is in one geographical location or needs something in somewhere else. So that's what this podcast is about. We're trying to build that network, trying to build that bridge, not only from retirees to those on the active duty who are going to be transitioning but as well as across services line. So thanks for teeing that up for us. And this is a great forum to get that message out. So good seeing you. You look relaxed and uh, do try to get out there and play a little bit of golf.
1: You got it, buddy. Thanks for the time. I sure appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the JAG Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.